Okay, we're going to welcome you to our Wednesday night if you're listening by podcast or if you're in the room. We're so glad you're here. In fact, look at your neighbor or say to yourself, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to come back for part two of this in two weeks. But tonight, we're going to talk about word connections you cannot live without. Everyone say word connections you cannot live without. (laughs) And the verse I've chosen before I pray over us tonight the top of your page, words satisfy the soul as much as food satisfies the stomach. Anybody eating anything lately that's just satisfied your stomach? I had some grilled chicken from Aubrey's this afternoon. Oh, it's delicious. But it said the right words are as gratifying as a good harvest and bring satisfaction. But here's the deal. Words kill, words nourish, and they give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Someone say they're either poison or fruit. I choose. Let's, let me say the other thing underneath there before we pray. Our words carry the power of life and death. What a responsibility. And that seems overwhelming. What a responsibility that my words carry life and death. And that can be overwhelming. But the next three words say, what a privilege. It's a right and it's a benefit given us by God. We have the ability to speak. I know you think your cute little chihuahua can speak, but he can't. (laughs) He'll understand you. My cat today, I proved to Christine, knows when I say, do you want to go outside and walk to the front door? Here she goes to the front door, and she's a cat. They don't obey anybody. Come on, somebody. But they can understand signals, but they can't speak like we can. That was entrusted to humans to speak. What a privilege. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Wednesday night. Thank you for my church family, my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, speak to them, Holy Spirit. Ah, you know how much I need you. No doubt we can't ever lie about that, sir. So I pray you would speak through me tonight. But most of all, I pray you would speak into their ears. Let us understand the power of our words tonight. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. Well, there's about 80,000 words in the English language. How about that? But 300,000 of them are technical or scientific jargon used by a narrow group of fields and disciplines. So that leaves about 500,000 words to select to communicate from each day. But nobody carries around a vocabulary of a half a million words except a few in this room. Just kidding. Um, In fact, the average is 10,000. Everyone say 10,000. But most of us use 5,000 words in our everyday speech. Sometimes we use more or less. Look at your neighbor and say, did you use more or did you use less? So 5,000 words to communicate our emotions, but they have the power to heal or to wound. They can dishearten or encourage. They can speak truth or our words can speak deception. They can speak praise or they can criticize. Have you ever said to yourself, has anyone besides me in this room ever said, I will never say anything stupid again? Sometimes I go home and I'm so overwhelmed from church or somewhere else I've been and said, Lord, I promise I'll never say something stupid like that again. And I kind of hear this, yes, you will. (laughs) And I'll help you then. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, you will. One pastor said that we all have a dumb locker and it just fills up and it fills up and it fills up and it fills up with all these words. And then all of a sudden, boom, and all these words come out. James in the book of the Bible, the book of James, everyone say James. He was a pastor, and I love the book of James. We've taught the book of James here, and we'll teach it again, I'm sure, sometime. But Pastor James is what I call him because I, my board of regents that are my covering, they're all pastors except one who's a prophet, Pastor Billy, but I call him Pastor Billy. But I love it when pastors speak. They speak with such wisdom. And Pastor James said that no one can tame the tongue. Look at your neighbor and say, no one can tame the tongue. In fact, he says it's unruly evil. It's bad enough to have something inside of me that's evil, but he calls it unruly. Everyone say unruly. Unruly evil. Look at your neighbor and say, you have something unruly evil. Wow. And it's humanly untamable. Guess what? It's humanly untamable. Say untamable. So at this point, you think, you know what, Pastor Ron, I'll just go on home. If we can't tame that old tongue, I'm just going to go home and enjoy the sunshine. Here's the good news. The one who made it can tame it. 
give God a hand clap of praise for that tonight because he can tame it, which is awesome. So listen, sometimes we get like a black belt to beat people up. Um, Pastor Robert Morris at Pastor's Gateway, I heard him say one time that um, the Lord said to him, Robert, you were beaten up by someone in a black belt competition and they beat you to the pulp. And he said, yes, sir, they did. He said, well, that's what you've been doing to my daughter. And he said, what? He said, the way you've been speaking your words to your wife is like a black belt causing injury. My mentor, Dr. Pickett, Fuchsia Pickett, who's in heaven now, said one time her associate pastor said that the Lord said to him, John, I don't like the way you've been talking to me. John said, what do you mean, Jesus? How have I been talking to you? I've not been saying anything negative. Oh, yes, you have. Because I live inside your wife, and you've been speaking to her in ways that are terrible. And I live inside of her. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, me. <laughs> say, me and my big mouth. <laughs> Me and my big mouth. And sometimes we often forget that the words we speak to people are people that were created in the image of God. And the words we speak to ourselves, I and you are created in the image of God. And the enemy would like nothing better for you to burn up your God-given destiny by speaking negative over yourself. Can I get an amen? So we think sometimes we live in America and one of our constitutional rights is freedom of Freedom of speech in that wonderful give the patriots a hand who paved the way. We love that. But you live in the kingdom of God and you do not have the freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. We say sometimes, I just want to, I just, I'm just going to say it. I'm just the person that has to say it. You know, and I just got to say it. But you don't have the right to free speech in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He said to watch your words. He said it to me. Has anyone ever said to you, can I speak freely? You're like, only in a native tongue that I do not understand outside of that. Speak noteth unto me. What they're actually saying is, do you mind if I brutalize you with my honesty? And I pick out my sword and just cut you to pieces? And it happens sometimes. I mean, the Bible does say speak the truth in. But if I'm speaking the truth to you, I should speak it in such a way that I leave you better than when I found you. I should speak the truth of the love to you, even if it's in correction that you walk away feeling better about yourself. That's one lie. You don't have the right to free speech. Number two, if, it's, if you're kidding, it doesn't count. It does count, but I'm going to deal with that in two weeks. You're going to love that. Once your words are forgotten, their influence is gone. That's wrong. Words live on forever. In fact, when you go to Israel, I've said this before, there's several places they take you and you wonder what happened there. But when you get to the Mount of Beatitudes, Brother Perry didn't tell us till afterwards. But it was just, it happened both times I went and I didn't say a word to the group that went on the second trip with me but when 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 you sit on the mount of beatitudes people just start crying why because geographically it's impossible to deny that's where jesus spoke and his words are living in the atmosphere it's very precious words live forever you have a dual citizenship you are a citizen of the united states of america and god bless the usa right <laughs> wave your flag proud that's wonderful we love our uh stars and stripes of our flag but i want to say this to you you are a citizen of heaven first. Number one, words are connectors. Words are connectors, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-O-R-S. They have the capacity to build bridges, span chasms, and shorten distance between you and others. The right words can bring a connection. Possibly the greatest connection ever made in engineering history was made in 1914. Before that time, if you wanted to go from, if you wanted to get on a ship and go from, watch the map, my people, New York to San Francisco, you had to go all the way beneath Cape Horn of South America. Took so long, but they took years, 13,000 miles. They took years to create the Panama Canal. With that transportation, they cut off all the extra miles and that you could travel through in a faster time. Words are connectors. We have capacity to build things with our words and we have capacity to tear down things with our words. Someone say amen. When God created the world, he did not wave a wand. I've said this many times, but he spoke things into existence and you are a speaking spirit. You are a human. If you did not know that, welcome to the human race and you speak 
So here we go, <laughs> Becky. Here we go. Number one, the not, not on your paper, the quality of your life that you're living might depend upon what you've been saying about yourself and others. If out of your belly is come bitterness, resentment, strife, and brokenness, you've probably spoke that. The fruit comes forth. And conversely, if you have deep peace, blessings, and satisfactions from relationships, you speak out of that. Number two on your paper, our words are gate openers. The only question is, which gate will your words open? And I'm going to read the ones that... You see, words have a, a ability to set the course of your life. What you're speaking over yourself and you're speaking over others. Two four feet 11 women changed my life. Believe it or not, they're both four feet 11 adults. <laughs> one was um, African-American and one was white. One was named Billy Jones, my junior choir director, and she was awesome. She's taught me how to move with the Holy Spirit. She taught me how to how to flow with him um, as a young child. She changed my life. The other woman was a African-American teacher at Mayfield Elementary who with her words told me at a pivotal time of my life that I was born for greatness. That doesn't mean like I've done anything great. You're all born for greatness. But at that time, I've told it before, there's a teacher across the hall that hated me so bad. And I don't know why I was a sanguine child. I get it. I get it. And she was very detailed. And I never had anything right. She embarrassed me publicly in front of my class. I'm sure if my parents had known fully, I was so sanguine, they probably didn't believe me. They'd have probably pulled me out of her class. One of my friends recently, I was talking about this, she goes, I think your parents would have pulled you. I said, possibly. But across the hall, everyone say across the hall, was Mrs. Johnson, just four feet 11, joyful, uh, African-American teacher. And she would grab, she knew nothing, I don't think, about what the teacher across the hall did, but she would take my face in her hands and speak about my life. And she said, I'm going to keep my eye on you. God's hand is on you. She set the course of my life with her words. You might be sitting here tonight and someone set the course of your life with some negative words. Someone spoke some word curses or they said you would never amount to anything. And we can get past that. There's this incredible story in the New Testament of these two great, incredible men of God. Paul, the great Paul, and the great Barnabas. And they traveled and evangelized all these places in one thousands to the Lord. We don't know how many. But they came to such a sharp disagreement over a young man named John Mark. The Bible says they had so much contention. Why? Because John Mark is listed in the Garden of Gethsemane as running away when Jesus was arrested. Then he went with them on a missionary trip and he left them ahead of time. So he was kind of like not committed. Here's the deal. Why am I bringing this up? Barnabas and Paul split from each other and went their separate ways, and Barnabas took John Mark. Why is this important? Barnabas' name means the son of encouragement. One of my elders used to talk, call me the daughter of encouragement, Marcus Lamb. He always would end an email, Rhonda, you are the daughter of encouragement. And it encouraged me so much because I do believe in encouraging people. But the power of the right word right here is John Mark began and became the author of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He is the one that wrote all the action because someone set the course of his life by saying, I see value. And at the end of Paul's life, he says, bring John Mark to me. He is valuable to me in ministry. Isn't it amazing that you and I can set the course not only in our lives with others, with the right words that say, I see something valuable in you. Say amen. So underneath or between one and two, it says, the great speeches of our time prove true the words of Job 6 and 25. How forcible are right words. So uh, finish these blanks, the great speeches. Martin Luther King said, I have a... Um, President Kennedy said, we have nothing to fear. That's good. <laughs> President Reagan, I'm trying to see, I'm just going to give this to Pastor Todd because I always give it to him. President Reagan said to Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Someone say, write words, live on forever. And that word forcible in the Hebrew means to press. It means the right words press something into place. In fact, Ecclesiastes 12 and 11, keep tracking with me, you're doing good. The words of the wise are as goats fastened by the masters of assemblies, meaning just as a nail holds a board up, so far and so on do our words hold things up. 
When you speak, you open your mouth. This is my pretend gate. It's super light. I'm not super strong, but I can lift it with one hand. It's plastic. There you go. Thank you very much. Um, But when you speak, you open the gate for either negative things to come forth or positive. It's whatever gate you choose to open. If I convince myself that I have fear, and I might have fear, but I keep telling myself more fear, But if I speak his word, the Bible says he inhabits his word. He inhabits his praise. He shows up when his word is spoken. When you speak, you either open a gate for God to come on the scene or you open up a gate for the paralysis of the enemy to come in. I'm not saying the wrong words bring the enemy, but it brings his attributes, fear, negativity, doubt, unbelief. If I begin to talk that, have you ever talked yourself into a whole big fit of something terrible? Come on. You just let it go in your mind and go in your mind. And then you kept saying it and you kept saying it. You had a dress rehearsal for everything bad. You start saying, I am sick and tired of this. This is killing me. It drives me nuts. I'm so stupid. Shame on me. Shame on you. That scared me to death. This is driving me crazy. I'm ready for the funny farm. My grandmother used to say that. We don't say that anymore. We probably say mental institution. I can't do anything right. I just can't believe it. Over my dead body, that'll happen. Why do we want to say over my dead body? Right? Look at your name and say, don't say that. Our other things like we have the power of life and death in our tongue. That doesn't mean I'm going to get death, but it means the things that come. I say my marriage will never succeed. I'll never get out of debt. My kids will never amount to anything. My prodigal will never get saved. And we we talked a few weeks ago about framing our thoughts and going into a situation and what you anticipate happens. We do the same thing in our words. We have to remember the power of confession is so powerful in our mouth that we program ourselves for success or defeat. In fact, the name of Jesus and saying, Jesus, come into my heart is so powerful. I know I've said this many times. That if we don't want this to happen to you, but if you did not come to know Jesus till you were 98 and you lived for the devil a whole life and you died in the next second, I've done many deathbed confessions with people and I'm thrilled to do it. I wish they had lived for the Lord, but you can rest assured that someone from this church is always going to go when they say someone's fixing to pass and they don't know Jesus. I've gone in there on machines. I've asked them to squeeze my hand. Pastor Hank did many, 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 many hundreds of people through the years. I don't care if you got saved a second before you closed your eyes in death or you live for him forever. What I know is the power of confession is so powerful you can live for the enemy all your life and say Jesus in the last moment and hell just lost another one. Someone give somebody give Jesus a praise. So, so good. It says on your paper under number two, life words can become the catalyst for breakthrough health protection spiritual revival and blessing in every way number three our words were intended to speak as god speaks to bring purpose and freedom our words were entrusted to us to liberate others everyone say entrusted that means god trusted me with words he trusted you with words he didn't trust my cat with words i don't blame him i would not have either I would hate to read that cat's mind. But he trusted us with words. To entrust someone with something is costly and precious. He gave me the freedom to say whatever I want to say. And we can say, well, I'm just going to say it. Well, you can also say that you can carry arms and go down here and shoot everybody up at KFC. But you're going to go spend time in prison. You can't do everything you want. You know, with children, you would always, my children never said this. It was other people's children. They would say, I can't, my children relevant never did. I can't wait till I get 18. I can do everything I like. You just wait. When I was talking to you, you just wait till you're 18. Because the stop sign's still going to stop you. The red light's still going to say stop. The policeman's still going to pull you over when you speed. You will never be anywhere that you can do everything you want to do. Because if you do, you probably will not live. God entrusted words. Look at your neighbor and say, God entrusted words to me. This is a great responsibility. Listen, James in the book of James gives us four facts about the tongue. We're going to get more of this two weeks from now. It's disproportionately powerful, meaning it's tall. Small, but big. Say small, but powerful. Guess what the strongest muscle in your body is? Your tongue. 
You need to go lift some weights with your tongue, my people. Two, it is inherently evil. We already said that. It's humanly untamable. We'll talk about that more in two weeks. It's contrastingly productive. We'll get to that in just a moment. And James talks a lot about this in James 3. If you want to write that down, I'll touch on a little bit here in a moment. So we say our tongue is untamable, so that it's just worthless. But Holy Spirit, I want you to say, let me say it for you that it might fit better for you. Say, God can teach me how to tame my tongue. There's no man that can, but God can. God can teach us, and it's a process. The one that created it is the one that can help us, and that's why we're here tonight. The good news is he can tame it. Number four, James gives us deeper insight of our troublesome tongues. You can put tongue or tongues. I think tongues fit better to me. Not that you have to, but it's speaking plural. When he implies that our tongues are contrastingly productive. Tongues. Okay, watch me. This is not going to be pretty. I'm warning you. This is not going to be pretty. Don't try this Sunday morning at church, okay? It's not going to be pretty. Praise you, Father. I magnify your name. Shut up, you idiot. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, I just glorify your name. I hate you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. I worship you. I despise myself. How can you? It says on your Bible. I'm on your paper. Sorry, I freaked you all out. You're like... (laughs) How do I get out of here? Do I take my popcorn with me or sit here? (laughs) The verse says, with our tongue, we bless our God, our Father, but with it, we curse man made in the image of God. Yikes. Look at your neighbor and say, yikes. The same mouth. And it's also about when you say to yourself, if my daughters ever speak negative over their self, oh, they'll tell you. I'm like, ugh. I mean, I'm like a bat out of H-E double toothpick. And um, that's the way God feels about you. If, if my daughters begin to speak negative over themselves or anybody, it grieves a parent, a loving parent. Maybe you didn't have one, but I'm going to tell you what a loving If I said to my daddy right now, I'm no, I was with him last night for two hours, delightful to the end. If I said to him, I'm an idiot daddy, I'll never be anything. My daddy... I don't know at this point if he'd cry. He would try to gather every scripture his precious, feeble mind could bring up. You know, and this is what the word says. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You see, he does not like us speaking that way over ourselves, speaking that way over someone else. Number five, the adverb contrastingly is what is important. The tongue is productive, producing fruit that remains a long time, but it is, put that contrastingly. Do you have that as a blank? Put that word there again. It's, it's in that first sentence, if that'll help you to spell it. Contrastingly productive, meaning it's unnatural. It, can't, it can do something nature can't do. You see, I can bless God with my mouth can worship him you're so thank you for this day lord and then i can speak horrible to someone else or to myself i am blessing and cursing out of the same mouth i'm blessing or cursing it doesn't mean if i'm speaking to myself that i am ignoring my my weaknesses or my negative god knows that's not most of our problem most of us know that but this is what he's saying with our tongue, we bless God and we curse. The same mouth is blessing and cursing. It ought not be. Someone say, it ought not be. And so this is what James says. And I've got it typed out here, but I'm just going to take you through it with my words. If you'll watch me, he says this. Does a spring send forth more fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? No, a stream can't do that. A stream. He's speaking about things that God created. He says, can a fig tree bear olives? No, now they can hybrid stupid things now, but God didn't create it that way. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No, everyone say no. God created like and like. Can a fig tree bear olives? Yes, grapevine bear figs? No, or no for both. Can a spring yield both salt water and fresh water? Y'all are brilliant. No tree can produce the same the two kinds of fruit. 
fig bears a fig, a grapevine bears grapes. If a grapevine were to bear figs, that would be, be unnatural for nature. Spring cannot have both salt and fresh water. This is exactly from our fallen natures, though, with our tongues, we do what nature cannot. We bless and we curse. This ought not to be, James says. Someone say, this ought not to be. It should be not normal for children of God. Maybe the world does it. But for our brothers and sisters in this room, are the people in our lives, are the people that we want to bring in to our church family, the whosoevers of every tribe, nation, kindred, whatever they look like, smell like, are like, we welcome them. But we cannot with the same mouth bless him and curse them. He said, don't do it because they are children created in the image of God. Have you ever spoke when your heart is bitter? What is the saying? Hush until you heal. Pause. We're going to get that for we'll get that in a couple of weeks. I've got the, the laughing people with me over here tonight, which I'm very thankful for. Um, no, no, I love it. Keeping me light. Keeping me light. Keep me light. No, I love it. Keep me light. Here's here's the deal that I want to say to you. Um, the metaphor that God, that James is using in the book of James, which is a figure of speech, a term applied to something else to show something else, if that makes sense. There's a better term for that. James give the metaphor of a, a bit in a horse's mouth. Have you ever seen one? But it says, indeed, we put horses in a horse's mouth a bit that they may obey us. And we turn the horse with a bit. Um, I've gone horseback riding many times in my life. But in New Mexico, my daddy was speaking at the International Philmont Scout Ranch. And we rode horses all day long. And the, the, the bottom of the horse came up to the top of my head. I don't remember. It's, I think his name was Gomer, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but that bit goes in that horse, and you, you turn the horse by the bit. Now, when you put that bit in that horse's mouth, it doesn't say, that feels so great. It's so cold. It's so wonderful to bite down on metal. The same thing as you and I getting a grip on our tongue. It doesn't always feel good. In my nature, I want to say what I want to say. Can I get an amen? I want to speak what I want to speak. When I'm down, I want to speak down on myself. When I'm angry, I want to speak anger. It was something else. He also goes on to say it's like a rudder on a ship. A ship or a cruise line is moved by a rudder on the ship, even the big cruise lines. And it's, it's so small compared to the whole ship, and it keeps you going. Now, if you don't have a rudder and you go out on a sailboat on a beautiful day and you see this sandy beach and you want to go over there and have a picnic, if you don't have a rudder, you're going to have a hard time getting your boat over there. It's the same thing he's saying. We ought to set the course of our life with our tongue. If I want to succeed and I want to be blessed, I need to start speaking good things over myself. Can I get an amen? Number six, over the years, I've learned that every time I raise the standard of, the, of my words, I speak, my life gets better. Every time. I, I saw a beautiful African-American teacher and she was, it was one of those things that come up a reel or something. And she was teaching young African-American children. And I loved it. Look me in the eye. Say, George, this is Sally. Now, George, shake Sally's hand. Look them in the eye. I can't hear you, George. Sally, it is nice to meet you today. I'm like, teach those kids some manners. Come on. Um, and I, it was for all kids. But I loved it because she was in an inner city school putting confidence in little children that according to their poverty level had nothing to look forward to. We need to teach ourselves to raise the standard of our words, to speak positive. Yes, look people in the eyes, but also to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to speak the good things. I'm going in the spiritual life. It's a game changer. Everyone say it's a game changer. Okay, let's move on. The verse underneath there is a wonderful verse of mine. I love it. I try to say this before every time I speak. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, there you have it. And we say to the Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over what I say. I don't have to speak every word that drops into my head. Can I get an amen? Because underneath that, it says the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing in the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing in the tempting moment. 
if you have to, you know, walk out. My husband used to do amnesty night with couples, and um, it's so powerful, but it's where you can speak freely about something, but then they would take a few days and not speak about what they'd spoken freely about to give their emotions time to cool off. And sometimes you and I need that. Set a guard and to say, and sometimes, you know what? I don't need to say anything. In fact, there's a proverb that says, even a fool is thought wise when he keeps his mouth shut. You'll always be thought wise if you don't say anything. I've sat in board meetings where Pastor and I would wait to speak at the last. And after everybody just thrown everything every which way but loose, we just speak then, and it always comes off as wisdom because we didn't gravitate to try to beat. Number seven, understanding the power of your words. Now we're going to get into some heavy spiritual things. Satan will try to get you to turn your mouth against yourself or someone else. Understanding the power of the words, your adversary wants you to turn your mouth against yourself or against others. Underneath that, one of my favorite statements by Jimmy Evans Negativity is the devil's language spoken by those who have his perspective. Negativity is the devil's language. That doesn't mean we deny things, we deny symptoms, that we deny problems, we deny situations. No, we are forthright about that. But we're going to say the right thing. There's a place in the Bible where this really comes true. One day, the sons of God walked before the throne room of the Most High God. And Satan, the Bible said, came with the sons of God. And as he stood before God, God said, from where have you gone, Satan? And he says, I've been walking to and fro throughout the earth looking. And God says, have you considered my servant, Job, man? And there was a discourse that went back and forth, and Satan began to say, but if if something bad happens to him, he will curse you to his face and die. God set some perimeters on that whole situation. But what happened is, you imagine yourself walking into a hospital room. I did this last week, but I'm going to change the details a little bit. And you see someone that's on an intubator. You see someone that's not talking. You see someone that the nurses say there's no hope. You see someone that the doctors say there's no hope. You see someone, maybe it's not in a hospital, maybe it's another situation. What would you say in that moment? Job's wife saw all the suffering, his physical, lost his children, lost his house. If you don't know the story, I'm sorry, I'll have to abbreviate it. Lost everything and physically was scraping bowls off of his skin. Did not have a Bible, did not have a worship song. And he kept saying, I know my Redeemer liveth. But his wife said, Job, curse God and die. She parroted the very words that Lucifer said to God in the regions of paradise. We need to be careful that we don't parrot the enemy's words to other people. A parrot means to repeat. You know what a parrot is. And if we're not careful, when people are in hard times or we're in hard times, there's no, there's no hope for you, Rhonda. You know, I might say to myself, Rhonda, there's no future. I'm just trying to speak, you know, Rhonda, you'll never get it. Rhonda, you'll never amount to anything. Rhonda, there's nothing for you. If I keep saying that, I am parroting not what God says, but what the enemy says. And then when I parrot that to someone else in their crisis, you know, yes, I have a problem. Yes, I have a situation, but I'm going to speak what God says. The truth of the matter is God was right about Job, and he didn't curse God and die. And he lived longer than anyone thought he would with many more children. His friends comforted him. He was blessed more in the latter years of his life than the former years. That's what happens when we hold on to what God says. Give God a hand clap of praise for that. So good. But, but I don't want to miss this as I try to move toward the, the end, and I see where we're at on our paper. So all is well. Look at your neighbor and say, all is well. Say, all is well. All is well. We're good. We're good. I don't want you to miss. Ask yourself. And again, if you know God, you love him. If you don't love him tonight, you don't know him. Someone has painted the wrong picture of God to you. And we hope you get the right picture because once you know him, you love him. You won't always understand him. He might frustrate you. He might disappoint you. But once you know him, you will love him. And we've got to think, what, what would be the right thing to say in this situation? I'm going to be quiet. I told you a few weeks ago, my husband and I used to have duct tape, and sometimes we would pick it up. I was, he goes, you want me to tape your mouth? I said, no, but keep your eyes on me, honey. 
I'm fixing to blow right here. You know what I'm saying? It's coming. And we've, we can take that moment and, and pause and say, I'm going to wait. I don't have to speak right now. I'm going to just think. I'm going to get myself together. There's a wonderful passage in, in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel. And I'm going to paraphrase this for time. And Ezekiel was living in Babylon, where we're going to go back to Sunday morning with Daniel. And the Lord showed him a big valley of dry bones. And the Lord was showing us through that illustration because he said to Ezekiel, can these bones live? They were dead everywhere. You see, we're not to be surveys of the cemetery. And right now, whatever you would answer, whatever you would speak, if God said to you, Becky, is this possible to happen in your life? Whatever you're believing for tonight. Todd, is, Pastor Todd, is this possible? Whatever you would say in that moment, if you'd say a cold day in hell, that'll come, come to pass for me. I don't know. I hope so. God help us. Your answer is probably the same thing to what you're facing right now to all of us. Ezekiel was smart enough to say, only you know. I want to go with what you say. I want to go with what you speak. That's what we have to do in our situations is say, God, what would you say? What would you speak about this situation? Because the issue is never in the visible prog the prospects or the human prognosis. The issue is what God says, what the Word says, and what we believe that He is able to do. Can you say amen? And he said, only you know, Lord. Ezekiel had to move from a beggar mentality to speaking what God said and God would say. And this is what God said. Ezekiel, prophesy to that which looks dead. Prophesy to this situation that looks hopeless, he would say to you and I. What does that mean, prophesy? I'm not a prophet, Pastor Ronald. What are you talking about? Speak the word of God into the situation. Speak what God says to influence that. And then God showed Ezekiel the dry bones coming together and said, I will bring my people back and they will be blessed. You and I have to have the mindset of the authority of God's word and what he says. We're too confronted constantly with heavenly questions about, can this really change? Can this marriage live? Can this city live? Can this generation live? Can my ministry live? Can I ever get out of this situation? Can I ever get out of this depression? Can I ever get out of this addiction? Can I ever get out of this fear? In that moment, we've got to expect what God says and say, Lord, I'm asking you to speak your word over this situation. But until you do, I'm not going to speak the words of doubt. Someone give him a praise for that tonight. Come on. Number eight, and we're moving, we're moving along. Praise you, Jesus. I'm cutting things out and we're moving. Number eight, Jesus turned logos, which is the written word, into his personal rhema, spoken word, and defeated the enemy in the wilderness. Here's the deal. Look up, and, and most of you know this. The two, two main Greek words for the word of God. First of all, John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It says in Matthew 4 and 4, Men shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we're supposed to live by. So the Greek words for that are logos and rhema. Some of you know it, some of you don't. Logos is the written word. That's the written word of God. Where rhema is when a verse, it just, it just hits you. I'll probably turn to something like she carried a turban on her head. Anyway, because um, I just turned to something. I'm not going to pick something. It's when I take a verse and I speak that verse into the situation, that's rhema. Jesus in the wilderness did not try to think his way out of the wilderness, but he spoke the word of God. He said, it is, it is, say it again, written. Look at your neighbor and say, it is written. When you speak, what he was doing is he was speaking what God said. He was the son of the almighty God. If we don't think it was too much for him, how can we think it's too much for us? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He created the world. He spoke it into existence. But when he came in the form of human, part man and part God, when he got into the wilderness and Lucifer came against him, when he was hungry and tired and weary, when often the enemy will come against you, he will not knock on your door on the best day. Can I get an amen? But it'll be when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed, try to get you to resign from life, resign from your job, resign from the human race. 
You cannot think your way out of the wilderness. If the Son of the Almighty God, I'm trying not to preach. If the Son of the Almighty God did not think His way out of the wilderness, we've got to open the gate and say what God says in hard times. If you, you say, I don't feel it. The Word is not dependent upon your feeling. The Word is dependent upon the power that God put in the Word that's like a two-edged sword. It divides and conquers the powers of darkness. Somebody give Him a shout of praise. Look at your neighbor and say, she is surely going to calm down. Those listening was like, I thought she taught on Wednesday night, Betty. She's preaching. Well, are we going to listen to her anymore on a Wednesday night? Well, what we're going to thank you. What we're going to say is, I have supernatural ability, strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have supernatural hope and open doors because no temptation has overcome me that He will not give me a way of escape. I have supernatural completion. I am confident in this very thing that He who began a good work in me will complete it. I have supernatural answered prayer because He said, if we ask according to His will, He will hear us. I have supernatural wisdom because if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask us. Of God someone say God and he will give it without reproach without reproach means he will not slap your hand and say you should know better you should know better you should know better how to do that how dare you ask me about that when you were taught that in Sunday school I'm telling you God will give wisdom when you need it when you don't deserve it when you didn't go to school for it can you say amen I have supernatural provision because my God will supply all my needs according to what his riches. I'm going to tell you something. Um, at a season of my life, the Lord said to me, and, and I'm not suggesting this for you. How do you know it was the Lord? Well, I don't think the devil would have told me. I was just so down on myself in full-time ministry. Nothing was happening bad to me, but just got so down on myself. And the Lord said, this is what we're going to do. Every day I want you to tell me two good things about yourself. I was like, well, that'll take me two days. <laughs> that'll be four. He goes, no, I want, you to, I want you to tell me two good things. They don't have to be spiritual. And you, you help me. If you get into a hard place, and he did, he helped me. Because some days I was like, uh, I have toes. Oh, <laughs> uh, he was good. There's a scripture in um, the book of Philemon <laughs> that says, that's not how you say it, but anyway. It says, um, acknowledge every good thing in you. But what happened is, then when I'd be talking to someone and I got tempted to say something, he would remind me. Because what he was saying is, you and I got this. There's a way out. You know, I'm not one to over-spiritualize things, but I do believe God has a way out of everything. I do believe it's practical. That was so practical. I've never told anyone that. In fact, I told... Um, my very dearest friend who's like a sister Melissa this morning we were talking early about words because she loves words like me and I said you remember she goes I remember she goes let's talk about some of those things I said no 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 no. I don't want to bring up the things because they embarrass me but if that's where you are why don't you wake up tomorrow morning before you feel those thoughts of defeat and say God I thank you for these two good things in my personality in my heart I don't remember all that I said. I made it as many days as I thought I could without receiving help from other people. Sometimes I would look at my husband. He's so sweet. Because when I ran out of something, he'd come up with something. He thought it was a cool thing. And it is. This is a powerful statement on your paper. Um, before we get into the last little box, which goes very fast. Under another, under, hello, under number eight. <laughs> this is so perfect to go with this point. What do you see what this says? So the Lord said to Moses, you know, I've called you to go deliver the Israelites. And he's, Moses makes a powerful statement when he says to the Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been. And I'm not now. Even after everything you've spoken to me. That burning bush, 40 years in the wilderness. I still can't speak. He said, I'm clumsy with words. There's Rhonda Davis. I'm clumsy. No, 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 no. I'm saying I can twist words. I'm fine. It gives you all encouragement you can do. If a donkey can do it, I can do it, and you can do it too. Um, so here, here's the deal. The anointing makes up for it. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Love you forever, sir. Love you. Um, but I love this because he says, I'm clumsy. You know what the Lord says? Go. 
But then the next, it's not on your paper. He says, and I will, I want you to say, and I will be with your mouth. Isn't that great? God is saying, I will be with your mouth. I will be with that tongue that cannot be tamed. I will be with those words that aren't always speaking the right thing. I will be with you. And hello, one of the greatest speeches of all times was said by Moses before Pharaoh. Are you ready? You got four words. You ready? And he kept saying it till the job was done because God was with his mouth. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. God is with our mouth tonight, and he will make a difference. So let's close this up. Um, a, appeal to a higher authority. And just look up here because I'm going to walk you through this last thing right out of the Word of God. Isn't that special? just seems to work. And I've got a closing story, I think. If I brought it, if I didn't, I'll do it by heart. Okay, this is from the Message Bible because it's just too cool, Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the master, God, sitting on a throne, high exalted. The train of his robe was filling the temple. Everything was spectacular and awesome and holy. Angels were high. Angels were flying this way and that way, crying, holy, holy. They were covering their face, their feet. I'm not making fun. I'm getting you to the part. They were saying, holy, holy is the God of the angel armies. His bright glory fills the earth. And Isaiah's watching all this. Then the foundation trembled at the sound of the voices and the whole house filled with smoke. Someone say the whole house with smoke. Now, we started late, so you got to give me five more minutes, okay? So then we started 12 minutes late. So here's what Isaiah said in response. I mean, he sees God lifted up. He sees it so great and so glorious. This is what he says. This is so you and me. I can't even, we can't even make this stuff up. Doom. It's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous forever. And the people I live with, they talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the king of the God of the angel armies. I'm dead, doomsday. Give Isaiah a hand, because we've all felt that way. We've all felt that way. But he appeals to a higher authority when he says that. And God sends one of the angels to take a coal from the fire of, of the Lord. We used to sing a song. Uh, take, we, we sang it Sunday at Outback with Nick and Dickie. <laughs> Couldn't remember his name. And that angel took that coal and touched Isaiah's lips. And when he did, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Take me into the holy of holies. And he touched his lips. And when he did, he said, you're cleansed. Listen to me tonight, brothers and sisters. The blood of Jesus does for our mouth what no one else can do. He cleanses us. When we worship him, that cleansing is coming through. Number B, choose to speak life. We need that life. We need to appeal to God and say, yeah, doomsday, doomsday. I'm not saying what I should be saying. I'm not speaking. The life that you need for your marriage and your finances, your job, your children is in your tongue. Speak life. Do that and then put your pens down. i got to tell you, closing illustration in the last two minutes. The power of life and death. Look at your neighbor and say, the power of life and death. Okay? I'm going to tell this by heart. Thank you, sir, for helping me since I left these papers on my desk. It's a story that I've revisited many times because there's not a better story. I have tons of books with illustrations that I've invested in. But there was a professor from a seminary visiting with his wife, Gatlinburg, in the mountains at a little restaurant. And they were there, and they saw, they were on their little vacation. They saw a gray-haired man going table to table, talking to everybody. He kept talking to this one, and the seminary professor thought, sure, he's going to come over here. We're just here for vacation. I wish he wouldn't, but he did. He came, and he sat down. He said, who are y'all? And he said, I'm a seminary professor. Don't miss this. I'm a seminary professor. He said, oh, I've got a story for you. He said, you see those mountains out that window over there, the Smokies right here in Gatlinburg? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We see it. We see it. He said, there was a little boy that lived in those mountains. He was an illegitimate little boy, and the town loved to gossip about him. The town, the town gossips always were trying to figure out who his daddy was, so wherever he was on the school playground, 
or when he would go anywhere, they'd say, who's your daddy? And his little face would turn so red. He would be so embarrassed because he knew he didn't have a daddy, and they all wanted the dirt on him everywhere he went. He said that little boy would go to church, but he'd go in late and always break some heart, and he'd leave early because the pastor would stand at the back door and shake everyone's hands, and he didn't want anyone to ask him, who's your daddy? He said, but then a new pastor came to town, and the little boy went to church that morning, and the pastor did his uh, benediction so fast that the little boy didn't have time to get out, and the pastor was already at the back door. And he shook the little boy's hand, and he says, hey there, little boy. I've never seen you before. Who's your daddy? Well, the whole church got quiet as a mouse. The town gossips just waited to hear. Now we're going to know whose illegitimate son that is of somebody. We're going to figure it out. The pastor, being a man of the spirit, saw the horrendous on face and could sense the tension in the room at the door going out that chapel in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He looked down at that little boy. He goes, I recognize you. I know who your daddy is. Your daddy is God. You look just like him. He said that little boy left that church that day. And he said to the little boy before he left, God is going to do something in your life, your daddy, greater than you could ever dream. And he said that changed that little boy's life. The man finished the story and just walked on. And the seminary professor just sat there and called the waitress over. Oh, before the man walked away, sorry, he said, that day, that pastor changed my life. When he walked off, the, they called the waitress over and said, do you know who that man is? She said, everybody knows who that man is. That's the former governor of the state of Tennessee. That's Ben Hooper. You see, words of life have no expiration date on them. Words that are spoken in life and in hope that we give our children, we give our friends, we give ourselves. If no one is giving you those words, give them to yourself. They changed that man's life, and he changed the state of Tennessee. You can look him up, Governor Ben Hooper. Would you close your eyes? Father, we thank you for the power of your word tonight. Thank you for helping me, Lord, in the busyness of this very hectic day for me. Lord, let us realize that you gave us and trusted us with words. Lord, I think the hardest thing for each one in this room I'm sensing right now is to speak those things over themselves. Maybe they're pretty good at speaking it over others. Maybe not, but they have a hard time speaking positive over themselves. Lord, let them begin to speak good things over themselves and always to speak your word into every situation. You gave us words. You entrusted us, and they are connectors. Help us to connect, Lord, to the course for our life, Lord. Help us to be the Mrs. Johnson and the Billy Jones that impacted me, but help us to be that for ourselves too, Lord. I don't have any great friends, Father God, that are well-known and Bible scholars that not all told me at some time they had to speak good over themselves. They got so down on themselves. Lift us up to be your children that we may walk royal in your grace and in your goodness. In Jesus' name, everyone said.